Thank you, Lauren. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 11. Gospel of John, chapter 11. We're going through the Gospel of John verse by verse. And I love that song that Pastor Jason led us in. Another in the fire. There's another in the fire. We're never alone. Whatever fire we go through this year, then this new year, we'll not go through it alone. He'll be with us. And of course, the times we're living in are crazy. We thought maybe after the first year things would be better, but they're, uh, they're not yet. But uh, the Lord's still on the throne. And He's with us through the waters, the trials, through the fires of life. And uh, that gives great comfort. Well, in John chapter 11, we have this great chapter about the resurrection of Lazarus. And uh, it, is, it is the seventh miracle that John records for us. And it is the greatest miracle of the ones that Christ performed. And uh, I've divided this chapter into four parts. First, last week was Jesus and his disciples. This week, it'll be Jesus and the sisters, Martha and Mary. Next week, it'll be Jesus and Lazarus. And then on the following week, it will be Jesus and the witnesses, the people who saw this great and grand uh, miracle. Well, I remind you, we're going to start in verse 17. I'll remind you that Jesus is on the eastern side of the Jordan River where John had baptized at the beginning. And uh, Martha and Mary, who were friends of Jesus and followers, along with her brother Lazarus, Martha and Mary sends a messenger to Jesus and tells him that his dear friend, Lazarus, is sick. And uh, instead of hurrying on over, Jesus waited another two days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea. And his disciples said, are you kidding me? Well, last time we were there, they wanted to kill you. They wanted to stone you. And you're going back? And uh, then Jesus told that little parable about if you walk in the daylight, the will of God, you won't stumble. And then he said to them that Lazarus was sleeping. And they said, well, we don't need to go then because he is sleeping, resting. He'll recover. And uh, he had told them, he's sleeping, and I'm going to go wake him up. But then when they, then when they said... Uh, he'll do well then, Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. Jesus was talking about the sleep of death. So they said, well, let's go. And they went. And of course, we have that negative uh, words from Thomas. Uh, let's go and die with him. Jesus is going to die. We're all going to die. That's when we come to verse 17. Look at it. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had laid in the grave four days already. This begins to set the scene. Father, thank you for our time together. Make it profitable, I pray, for each of us. Speak to our hearts. Teach us. Teach us that as we go through troubled times, you're right there and you're big enough to help us, to take care of us, to watch over us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.
Dr. Kenneth Meyer tells of a time when he had been speaking um, somewhere in the country and he was going home to Chicago and he was flying in to O'Hare Airport and the uh, plane as it was descending was flying low over the interstate and he could see a, a huge traffic jam. Cars lined up for miles. Uh, he could also see, he said, people were, were out of their cars standing in the road and standing uh, in the grass and some of them were standing on their bumpers or on a, a, trying to see if they could figure out what was going on. But, um, of course, they couldn't, the ones that were further back. Then he said he looked northward and he saw what was going on. He saw it was a wreck and they were getting the cars off the road and... Uh, and it, things were just about finished. And though no one in that traffic jam knew what was going on, he knew what was going on. And he knew that by the time he got to the airport, got in his car, and needed to come down this interstate, that interstate would be cleared. And uh, so he said, I had a perspective that was different than the other people traveling on the expressway. He said, I knew I would soon be home. Then he says this, perspective makes all the difference. We are earthbound creatures. But if we could somehow look down upon the traffic jams of our lives, we would react much differently. You know, we've had a lot of traffic jams this past year. No doubt there will be others coming. In this chapter, we see that contrast between someone who sees things with a heaven perspective and somebody that sees life with only an earthbound perspective. Jesus did not leave when other people thought he should leave. Therefore, he was criticized. The sisters probably wonder, does he really love us as much as we thought he did? Maybe he doesn't. They were, uh, he said this was going to be for the glory of God, not unto death. And yet the disciples were confused. He said this was going to take place that you might believe and also to his disciples and also for Martha and Mary and also for all those witnesses that people would believe and yet from their earthbound view of things they were devastated they were confused and so it is helpful if we can view things from God's perspective and that's where the Bible comes in because the Bible is God's word it is God's perspective well look at verse 17 now let's go back and and pick up our story Jesus came he had laid in the grave four days already now the Jewish people in that day did not uh, embalm people who died they just wrapped linen around them and put spices on them and they were usually buried the exact same day, sometimes only a few hours later, because in that particular climate, bodies decompose 
very quickly. And so Lazarus, and if you remember the last week, I showed you the little chart of the I put together for the um, for the days, and we realized that Lazarus had died the day Martha and Mary sent the messenger to Jesus. Now he's been in the grave those four days. Verse 18 says, Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, or near, of course, about 15 furlongs. A furlong is 660 feet. That's about two football fields back to back. If you put 15 of those together, you have about two miles. So Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem, and that explains why there were so many people there from Jerusalem, because it was only a two-mile walk, and people had come uh, to comfort Martha and Mary in the loss of their brother. I said it last week, I think probably Martha was the oldest, because in Luke 10, when Jesus goes to their home what appears to be maybe the first time it says he went to Martha's home and that Martha had a sister Mary and a brother Lazarus so she was probably the oldest and then probably Mary and then uh, Lazarus was the younger of the three two sisters and a brother living together and uh, so they had a lot of people there verse 19 look at it. and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother that word comforts a Beautiful word. It comes from a uh, it comes from a word in the Greek that means to speak tenderly. I like that, don't you? To speak tenderly is to comfort. And then uh, it uh, it says many were there, and uh, there was a custom in Jesus' day. Actually, it was a part of the Jewish oral tradition of that day. And, of course, the devout Jews went strictly by that. And it said this, that a, even a poor family had to have two flute players at a funeral uh, or during the uh, mourning process over a loved one. Uh, we love to hear Jennifer play the flute uh, here at the church, and she does a tremendous job. So you had to hire, you had to pay them. These were professional funeral flute players. <laughs> That's hard to say. And you had to buy two of them, even if you're a poor family. And then you had to hire at least one mourner. This would be a woman who maybe had great compassion for people and and would, she would come in and cry and weep and wail and that would encourage the other visitors there to weep and wail and cry as well. Maybe some of them might have been just good actors but uh, or maybe they were people of compassion. But at any rate, uh, Martha and Mary appear to be wealthy. Uh, not wealthy in the sense of the Gentile people of that day and, and Herod and others but, but more so a middle class and uh, they maybe had hired more than that but they had at least two flute players and one professional mourner and the rest of them uh, were probably friends and family and, and people from Jerusalem that's the setting I want you to picture that in your mind <clears throat> and then verse 19 says or 20 
Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet him, but Mary sat still in the house. Now Jesus comes to the edge of Bethany, not all the way into town, but to the edge of Bethany. Martha goes out to meet him. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not uh, died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Mary's going to say the exact same words. So it gives us the indication that the two of them maybe had said that to each other, you know, before, even before they sent the message when their brother was sick. They thought, oh, if Jesus was here, he would heal him. And, uh, and now she repeats these words to Jesus. At first reading, it almost sounds like a rebuke. But it doesn't appear to be a rebuke. Uh, it appears more to be a statement of faith. Lord, you're the great healer. And if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It was more a statement of faith, I think, than a criticism. Though we may see some disappointment in those words. If you put yourself in Martha's place, you can see the disappointment they may have had. Jesus was their dear friend and he would healed so many other people and now he lets their dear brother die. A lot of people feel this way in life. Where were you, Lord? Where were you? You've come too late. Where were you when my loved one died? When my marriage dissolved? When my parents divorced? When my father became an alcoholic? Where were you when I was cheated out of that promotion? When my child went astray? Where were you when my mate cheated on me? If we're not careful, we can allow those things to become points of bitterness. They should be laid at the feet of Jesus. But the Lord understands our honest questions to Him. I know you hear preachers say every now and then you should never question God. Well, you should never question His goodness, His love. But you can question why things happen. You want to know. You, you, you want to get the answer to why things happen. What are you doing? What are you teaching me? And pour out your broken heart before the Lord. And that's all good and right. It sometimes looks like the Lord is um, uncaring or behind or got too much to do to fool with us. But the truth is, if we had a, a heavenly perspective, we would see that God is working all things together for our good. Romans 8.28 is all over this chapter. But to the heaven bound, it's hard to see that. So she says, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Then verse 22, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, he will give it to thee. Now, on first reading again, we might think that she is thinking he would raise Lazarus from the dead. Because she says, whatever you ask, the Father will do. But we know that's not the case from the context because when Jesus says, move the stone, she doesn't want to move that stone. She, at the, she doesn't know what's going to happen even then, for sure. So she certainly is not exercising faith that 
Jesus is going to raise her brother. She, again, this is a statement of her faith. I know who you are, and I know whatever you ask, the Father does. She's just kind of bragging on him and, and praising him for who he is. Jesus saith unto her, verse 23, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. <laughs> She had her fundamentals right. She knew there was going to be a great resurrection at the last day. And she knew her brother was a believer and he would be raised to life uh, and to heaven. But Jesus, of course, was referring to what was going to take place in just a few minutes. And, um, but she didn't understand that part. So she says the resurrection is going to take place in the last day. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Let's take that first part. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is saying, you're thinking of terms in the sense of a doctrinal statement. Something you would get out of the, a, a book, the Bible even. But I am that resurrection. I'm the one in the last day that's going to call forth people out of the graves. And they're going to come. And the resurrection is going to take place because of my power. I am the resurrection. I'm standing right in front of you. All of these I am's are to help us realize who Jesus is and therefore trust him more. Remember, he wanted his disciples to trust him more. He wants that from Martha and Mary. He wants that for me. He wants that for you. So he says, I am the resurrection. I am is emphatic, meaning I, the one who's standing in front of you, I am the resurrection. <laughs> and I am the life. You may remember in, in uh, John chapter 5, Jesus said, there's coming a day when the people who are in the graves shall hear the voice of the Son of God and shall come forth some to eternal life and some to eternal death. And Jesus is the one who's going to call them forth. And so he says, Mary, you, Martha, Martha, you know me well and you've believed in me. All that's good. I'm just trying to teach you a little more of who I am and what I'm capable of. You know, that's what you and I are learning all through life, isn't it? All through our lives, from the experiences, the heartaches, the burdens, the broken hearts and circumstances of life, he's teaching us who he is a little more and a little more. Well, go back to, the, uh, to verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life, the one who gives life, the one that calls the resurrection and gives life. Then he says, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Then he almost sounds like he changes it in the next verse. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? He asked her. So the first part of that, he's talking about physical death. Except for those who will be here when the Lord returns in the rapture. All of us are going to die. Every one of us. In a little bit, Jesus is going to be walking towards the tomb. 
In a sense, you and I, all of us right now, are walking towards the tomb, our own tomb. We're all going to die. But, verse 25, the last part, though he were dead, yet shall he live. In that future uh, resurrection, we're going to all live again, our bodies. But then he says in verse 26, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now that's the real us. Who we are. The only thing that's going to die is our body. Our body will die and be resurrected in the future. But the real us, our soul and spirit, who we really are, the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So when we, our body dies, we will go directly to be with the Lord. So he says... If you believe in me, ye shall never die. Dale Moody used to say occasionally, when you read in the newspaper that D.L. Moody died, don't you believe it. <laughs> For the believer shall never die. And then he said to her, Believest thou this? And he put her on the spot, didn't he? Jesus does that to us every now and then. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Wow, what a statement of faith. I mean, this is as grand as Peter's statement of faith. Uh, she knew who Jesus was. She said, I believe you are the Christ, that is the Messiah, the one Israel's been waiting for, <clears throat> the Savior. And then she said, I believe you're the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father the Son of God, which should come into the world. That should come into the world indicates his preexistence. She understood that he was with the Father. And then he came into the world. This is a wonderful, wonderful statement of faith. She avoids the direct question. Maybe she didn't know how to answer that when he said, Ask her, believest thou this? But she told what she did understand and believe. And... Uh, it was this great statement of faith. The I in verse 27 is emphatic. That means there's, that's where the emphasis is placed. You might read it like this. I, yes, I. This is a personal thing. It's not what we at our church believe or we at our family believe or we what my Bible study group believes. It is I, it's emphatic, I, yes, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Be sure your faith is personal. You're not just believing what somebody else believes. But you yourself emphatically believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the only Savior who came into the world. Verse 28. By the way, in verse 25, that I am the resurrection, that's the fifth I am statement in the book of John. We'll have two more of those uh, in the next few chapters. Verse 28, and when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, privately. She didn't want to make a big spectacle of things. She, she called Mary secretly, privately, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. I like that term, Master, don't you? I think that's a good thing for you and I to speak and call Christ Master occasionally. 
excuse me. <clears throat> Pretty bad when you cough into that microphone. Verse 29, as soon as she heard, that is Mary, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into town, but was in the same place where Martha met him, in the outskirts there of Bethany. The Jews, when they were, uh, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, We goeth, uh, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. So they followed her. Martha had hoped it could be a private thing, but they followed her out, and so they could hear what she and Jesus said, apparently. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. She said the exact same words, you know, indicating, as I said, they had probably said that to each other before. It was not a rebuke, but you can hear the disappointment in that. By the way, Martha and Mary both said this, but if they had really thought about it, Jesus had healed people from a distance. They probably knew that. He could have healed Lazarus from on the other side of Jordan. But he had a grander purpose in what was going on. So he does in our lives too. He has a grander purpose than what we can see in it with our earthbound limitations. Notice verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? And so he meets with Martha and Mary. Now if you look back up to this meeting with Mary, I want to point something out to you. Look at verse 32 again, about halfway through. When she saw him, she fell at his feet. Look at your screen for a moment. I want us to think about that together. There's only three times in the Bible we see this Mary, the sister of Martha. And uh, now there are many Marys. In the, that, that was one of the most popular names during Jesus' day. The fact is, some, uh, some scholars say as many as one in five women had the name Mary. <laughs> wow. That could be confusing, wouldn't it? There's six Marys recorded for us in the Scripture. Sometimes people get them mixed up. There's six different Marys. We see this Mary only three times, and all three times she's at Jesus' feet, which is a place of surrender. Now, I want you to get this. This is, this is kind of the pinnacle of what I want to say today. It's a place of surrender. The lords, they bowed before the kings. The common folks bowed before the lords. And the servants, slaves, bowed before their masters. Everybody in this day and age, when this was written, knew that to be at someone's feet was a place of surrender. That was Mary's heart. 
She was surrendered to the Lord Jesus. So we've all three times. It's interesting that she has appeared three times. We see there's something common in those three times, just like we saw something common in the three times that Thomas was mentioned. But now we see these three things. The first time was in Luke 10, 39, and she sat at Jesus' feet to learn. Now this could be the first time Jesus came into their home. It's hard to say. The scripture seems to indicate that this was a home away from home for Jesus when he was in Judea. Of course, when, when he was in Galilee, it was Capernaum uh, and uh, probably uh, Peter's home. But here it was the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And Jesus on this occasion came and sat and began to teach. And Mary pulled up a stool or sat on the floor or something, and I can see her hanging on every word Jesus was saying. And Martha, because she had people there, I mean, not only was Jesus there, if you think about it, his 12 would have been there too. She had 13 new people now to feed, to take care of. And the Bible says she's rushing about and, and uh, serving and, and doing all the things that needed to be done. And... And finally, she got frustrated. She went in and interrupted Jesus' teaching and said, Jesus, can't you see that I am busy, 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 and my sister is just sitting here doing nothing? Tell her to come help me. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are cumbered about, King James. You are anxious and worried and troubled about many things. But Mary has chosen the most important thing. And so we have this little bit of a personality insight into these two ladies. Martha was more of a go-getter, server, get the job done, hurry and do it type of person. Mary was more, uh, maybe a little slower and more uh, uh, contemplating on the things of God and so forth. I mean, I can see, you know, you know people both like this. Uh, Martha, Martha might have been the kind of person who even if you're going in the wrong direction, you should hurry. You know, if you hurry when you're going in the wrong direction, you're just getting further away from where you should be. But she, was, she had to hurry whatever she was doing. You can see that. And, uh, and Mary would have thought things through. Maybe not been as quick as Martha to get things done. So we see both of these characteristics that define their personality are good and useful. We need a lot of Marthas in the church. We need a lot of people getting things done. And even if they're rushing to do it. And uh, we need a lot of Marys in the church. People who are contemplating and thinking about the Word of God. God uses us all in our different ways. So Mar Mary was at the feet of Jesus. You Marthas out there. It might not come as easy to you, but try to be a little more like Mary. Try to learn at the feet of Jesus. And you Marys out there, may not come as natural to you, but put your hand to the plow. Serve the Lord. Get things done. 
And so the first time she's sitting at Jesus' feet learning. If you and I can do these three things on a regular faithful uh, time, regularly and faithfully, it'll make a tremendous difference in this year. So let me encourage you when you when you come to read a chapter a day or whatever you're reading, devotional book or whatever it is, don't think of yourself as hurrying through it. Think of yourself as sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him teach you through his word. Wow, what a privilege that is. And then the second time we find her is right here in our context. And she fell at the feet, at Jesus' feet, to cry unto him. She was pouring out her soul. She was pouring out her sorrow. Her heart was breaking. And she poured this out before the Lord. You know, life's full of hurts, isn't it? Life's full of disappointments. Life's full of troubles and trials. And we should bring all of those troubles and trials to the feet of Jesus. Remember, the place of surrender. Lord, I surrender to you. If this is the handicap I've got to face, if this is the problems I have to face, Lord, I'm pouring out my heart to you, but I'm in a place of surrender to your will. Karen is reading again a book that she and I both read many years ago called Healing for Damaged Emotions. Karen's read it, I think, several times over the years. And we've recommended it to people. And it's a tremendous help uh, if people have been abused as a child, maybe, sexually abused, physically abused, or, or uh, verbally abused, or abandoned, and neglected, and so forth. This is a tremendous book. It keeps bringing you back to the feet of Jesus. Healing for Damaged Emotions, if you'd like to order that. And then the last time we will see Mary is in chapter 12 of John. We'll be there in a few weeks. And she knelt at Jesus' feet to worship. I don't want to say too much about this because it's coming up. But she took this expensive oil and put it on Jesus' feet and wiped her, his feet with her hair. And it was a beautiful moment of worship. And it was at Jesus' feet. Let's worship Him. Not just in the service. We should do that too, though. Let's worship Him when we come together as a congregation, whether we're in the building or whether we're all online. Let's worship Him. But let's worship Him every day in your heart. Kneel at His feet and worship Him. So these are the three times. This is how you get to be heavenly-minded doing these three things. That'll give you a heavenly perspective of what's going on in life. Learning at his feet, pouring out your soul to him, and worshiping him. I think I'm going to stop right there. We, we've been showing, of course, clips from the movie, The Gospel of John. And here is uh, the clip for today. And again, I want you to think about it being real people at a real place, at a real time in history. And it may have looked something like this. Let's watch it together. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been buried four days before. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, 
and many Judeans had come to see Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. If you had been here, Lord, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask him for. Your brother will rise to life. I know that he will rise to life on the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. And those who live and believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? I do believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After Martha said this, she went back and called her sister Mary privately. The teacher is here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and hurried out to meet him. Jesus had not yet arrived in the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The people who were in the house with Mary, comforting her, followed her when they saw her get up and hurry out. They thought that she was going to the grave to weep there. Mary arrived where Jesus was, and as soon as she saw him, she fell at his feet. Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw how the people with her were weeping also. His heart was touched, and he was deeply moved. Have you buried him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. But some of them said, He gave sight to the blind man, didn't he? Could he not have kept Lazarus from dying? What a moment in history that was. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we encourage you, call the church number and leave a message. We'll get back with you. Somebody will help you, walk you through uh, uh, salvation biblically. Or you can fill out the guest card online if you'd like to do that and leave a message and we'll get back with you. Thank you for being with us today. Pray with me, please. Father, teach us to surrender at your feet and learn from your word that we might have a heavenly view of life instead of an earthbound view. 
Help us to pour out our soul, pour out our sorrows to you, Lord Jesus, at your feet, surrendering them to you. And in the midst of our pain and suffering to say, you are Lord, what you want is best. And then teach us to worship at your feet. Not just on Sunday, but every day to worship. Teach us. May our faith grow this year. Like Jesus said, the disciples' faith and Martha and Mary's faith would grow. May our faith grow this year as we see you for who you are and all that you can do. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Jason's going to come with prayer requests.